0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week on Meet and 3, we explore the relationship between food and style.
2: I knew from the start that I never wanted to like hot glue bread onto my body. (laughs) Like I wanted to be able to enjoy it after, and I did. Food,
1: which is so ephemeral, right? It's something that you eat and it disappears. With an image it remains, it stays alive forever.
0: Food and fashion
3: align in that they're both lenses through which to look at culture, right? And they're both also tangible things we can use to express ourselves and our identities.
1: Tune in to Meet in Three. Available wherever you get your podcasts.
0: So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll. Lord no. knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Devil is grooving them rhythm and blues. that him. It's gonna get you. In the air.
4: Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. I'm Souther Teague. and I'm Greg Benson. Guys, what the fuck is going on in New York right now? I mean, uh, you've got like a heat wave and you can't have to-go cocktails to quench that insane thirst on the side. And you yeah. can't
3: figure out who our mayor is going to be
2: either. It's just all – nobody knows
3: what's going on. It's basically
2: <laughs> – What the hell? Yeah, a yeah. state, of, state of confusion. Um, Yeah, uh, it kind of happened while we were on the air last week, so we didn't talk about it, but uh, Governor Cuomo decided to pull to-go cocktails. He made the announcement on Wednesday that the following Thursday, the very next day, less than 30 hours of notice, uh, that uh, they were uh, um, no longer viable, which is the first time during the pandemic that we've done anything on such short notice. The first time we've... uh, uh, almost all the moves that have been made in, in New York uh, regarding uh, hospitality and the pandemic have been initiated on Mondays. That way you kind of had the weekend to clear out the pipes or whatever. Um, so what happened is we a lot of bars uh, are kind of stuck with the supplies that they purchased, thinking that to-go cocktails were certainly going to go on throughout the end of the year. Uh, I know that I'm personally sitting on thousands of bottles, caps, and customized labels uh, that are now kind of rendered useless um yeah it's bad it's a bad a a bad decision and a bad way to uh put it into effect with so very little notice for the industry you know we're i think any any sector is somewhat like a freight train when it's in motion and you can't just make a 90 degree turn there has to be like a a curve to, to to correct the course and to throw this at us with so little notice was it borders on cruel in my opinion
4: well, here's another thing. I mean, like, I know that especially there's always there, there have been these jokes about, like, burning your masks and stuff. You know, like, it's over. I'm like, it's fucking not over. Um, and I, I'm wondering if the, the to-go cocktail thing might come back. I mean, especially with, like, co- things like Delta variants and, and whatnot. I mean, that's certainly a possibility, right? I don't
0: know,
4: man.
3: One One, I mean, that's the thing is, like, there's so much so many question marks in the future and like to pull the rug out from under this. And also like, let's, let's not lose sight of the fact that it was wildly wildly popular. You know, I think it was like 80% of New Yorkers were like, yeah, this is a great thing, which now means by the way, a a couple other States did make to go cocktails permanent during the pandemic, including uh, our favorite punching bag, Iowa, which means (laughs) in a lot of ways that Des Moines, Iowa now has yes. uh, a more robust cocktail scene, at least in this one department, than the great city of New York. So, Damon, you and I should take a road trip there. Southern, I don't think, is allowed inside the city limits after everything he yeah. said about them. But <laughs> you Daring and I should apart. go and check out their Turn them cocktails.
2: apart for a decade. <laughs> yeah, they, they might not like to see me. Yeah, rug pulling is a great uh, uh, way to put it. You know, it was such an unexpected thing. Also leading up to, again, uh, what turned out to be a beautiful weekend uh, that was had some temperatures that were up there. So to-go cocktails would have certainly made an impact. It was also Pride Weekend, uh, which certainly would have impacted to-go cocktails. Like really uh, taking an opportunity for us to uh, take on some revenue away from us without any notice was just, uh, again, I, I think it's almost cruelty. Um uh, you know, I think that just because we're thinking that the trauma is over, it's not you know we've tread water for this long, we made it to the shore. This doesn't mean that we're insured uh, uh, that we're gonna survive this means that now we need recuperation time you know we need to find shelter, or get some uh, nourishment we've been you know malnourished over all this treading water time you know it's not uh, when you break your leg that's not the end of the trauma. that's the beginning of the trauma, right so we're still at the beginning and to take this away from us uh, so callously, I think uh, is a Really big mistake, and doing everything we can to rattle the cage and hopefully get this uh r- overturned at least in New York City um you know De Blasio has already come forward and said he thinks it was a bad idea, so we've got that on our side in some degree, I guess I don't know. I'm still obviously quite pissed about the situation,
4: right. It wouldn't be New York City if we didn't have something to collectively get upset about you know
2: and and talk about.
3: We could get mad about how hot it is, but that's been
4: done. That's been done
2: forever. I got reached out to by several publications, New York Times and Esquire notably, and a couple of others as well, uh, to give my two cents on this thing. And I pulled up my numbers from the week prior, which dictated that 9.5% of my total sales, not just beverage sales, total sales, food and, and retail that I do as well, uh, was coming from to-go cocktails. Uh, so that number, again, is only hovering around $3,600 a week. Uh, but that's because my total sales are also only about 35% of pre-pandemic numbers. Um, but that that's, you know, that's a huge chunk that's just been ripped away for no kind of discernible reason. Um, you know, and, and of course, people came out to support. They had one day to get there. So they came on Thursday. And Thursday, we did just, over, just under $11,000 in to-go sales alone. So wow. kind of. Kind of capping up three weeks worth of of that number, but but then it's gone. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'm still really hot about. it I mean, I don't, how is this affecting Grand Army? I mean, you know, we we saw a lot of uh, to go
4: cocktails and food. I mean, look, but we gotta realize is the Grand Army is an oyster bar. You don't really take oysters to go. So it's like we we definitely did some things like lobster rolls and you know. But the the, the to go cocktail thing was like pretty huge and we got like a frozen drink machine just for basically for mainly for takeout cocktails um yeah. and yeah i mean as far as far as all that goes i mean like we, we yeah sure we've seen a dip but we also have a lot more seating than amorio margo has i don't know if anyone's yeah. noticed that but <laughs> i mean like <laughs> it's it's quite a bit more so yeah yeah
3: I'm actually gonna be in uh, at uh, Grand Army later on tonight, so I'll, uh, I'll, 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 I will patronize your frozen machine and maybe grab some uh, oysters, see if, see if they can box up some oysters to go for me as well.
4: Yeah, <laughs> just just hang out there. They wanna see you anyway. Yeah, exactly. Uh,
3: yeah, it was the, uh, actually the very first night everything shut down. The place I was working at sent uh, my, my friend home with, they're like, well, we have all these oysters and all this white wine that's gonna go bad And I remember, like, just she showed up at my apartment with just like a ton of oysters and white wine. And we made the mistake of drinking the white wine first and then trying to shuck the oysters. So I woke up (laughs) on day one of the pandemic with just like gouge marks all over my left hand. And I remember thinking, man, really hope this heals before I have to go back to work. (laughs) How how naive we all were.
2: Yeah.
3: Mm, Um, But speaking of uh, staying amused during the pandemic, we have uh, another New Yorker here joining us in the studio. We have Lacey Hawkins of Monkey 47 Gin. Lacey, what is up? How are you?
5: Greg, you just upgraded me to a New Yorker. I mean, I live in New York, but nobody's ever called (laughs) me a New Yorker. Thank you. You've been here for quite a while. I've yeah. been here for almost eight years, but like, I just feel like the second you call yourself a New Yorker, if you weren't born here, people are like, you're a scab. You need to leave. You don't deserve <laughs> to be here. Like, you got too comfortable. Get out.
3: Well, see, I feel like what is the, the threshold? The, 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 um, the threshold that I've always heard is you have to have lived here for five years and been mugged at least twice to be an official New Yorker. But <laughs> but there is a, a unofficial petition circulating that if you stayed in New York for the entirety of the pandemic, like the worst parts of it, uh, you get fast tracked. Like I think it's like you get like one mugging taken off of your requirements
4: or something like that. Yeah. I guess
5: I'm like three years ahead and one mugging shy of maybe being a New Yorker.
4: There you go. Do you <laughs> yeah. still feel connected to Portland? Is that what you're saying or? or...
5: Well, I just feel like I mean, my wife has been in New York for like 20 years. And when I first met her, I was like, what are you still doing here? Aren't you supposed <laughs> to like show up, like get your nut and get out, right? You show up, you like some, somewhere like you find a diamond or you like you're changed forever or you're like you have a terrible time and then you leave. And you're like, that was so great. I'm like, what are you still doing here? So I don't necessarily feel like I'm connected to Portland as much as I just feel like it would be, it would be rude of me to claim myself as a New Yorker. Like New York City would be like, no, no, no. We're gonna mess with you now. You think you think you live here? You think you're from here? Like, oh, you gotta come in.
4: Yeah. New York New York City constantly reminds you who's in charge. You
2: know. I mean what's the old uh, there's that old saw, right? Live in San Francisco but leave before it makes you too soft, live in New York, but leave before it makes you too hard.
5: Right? I like oh, that.
3: My my personal favorite what? is that New York City sucks and it's a real shame it's the greatest place on earth. That's <laughs> yeah. that's sort of I mean, how I feel about it.
5: Suther, if, if that's what they say about San Francisco and New York, like, what's going on in the Midwest? Because I think that there's, <laughs> there's some problems out there, right? I mean, Chicago t- is super great, though, but I mean, the Midwest does have some issues. And it, you would think that based on that saying, the Midwest would be the place to be. But I don't know, a couple backwards things out there.
2: I mean, Tennessee Williams famously said, uh, America is New York and New Orleans, and all the rest is Cleveland, <laughs> so that's yeah. that's my that's my bit on the Midwest. Uh Lacey, but you're upstate right now, right? You're living a good upstate. life you said.
5: I'm living I'm living a good week. I'm living the good I'm living the good life for a week. I was able to scoot out of this heat wave. It's still 103 degrees outside right now, but um I'm living upstate for this one week where I get to Yeah, I I was telling everyone that I feel like you've made it as a New Yorker when you can leave New York in the worst parts of the summer. Um, Yeah. Although I did did stay in New York for the entirety of the pandemic. And just prior to the shit hitting the fan in New York City, I was traveling like five days a week, Monday to Friday, all over the country with Monkey 47 as the national brand ambassador. And, you know, the years before that, I was working – crazy hours, crazy bartending hours, you know, and sleeping for a good chunk of my morning and and I really didn't get to live in New York City. I mm-hmm. ate here and I showered here. Um and I and I caught airplanes here. And so as the pandemic just completely descended upon New York City and this place became eerie. I know the word ghost town is kind of taboo cuz it's been tossed around so much but this place was a fucking ghost town. And
2: yeah. I think Erie is an apt, apt description. It, yeah. was, it was, as the sun went down each night, the city was creepy as fuck.
5: Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I got to experience the seasons of New York City like I had never experienced before. So uh, my wife and I would, would spend most of our day taking long walks all around New York City. Um, because it got us out of the house and we felt like it was a safe thing that we could do. Mm -hmm. And I got to see New York City in the spring and the flowers like saved my life. The the flowers that were growing, I just felt like the earth was like, hey, keep going. It's going to be okay. Like, look at this beauty we're throwing out for you. Look at these irises and the tulips and the daffodils and the roses and the hydrangeas and just everything. Look at how beautiful, look how strong we are. And- was amazing. So, and I got to see the summer and the fall and um, experience winter in New York like I haven't before. So it, w- it was really interesting to see New York City in the full, the full seasons.
2: Well, I'm imagining you, you, you sort of have an extra eye for that sort of thing as a, a beekeeper, apiarist. Is that the correct word? Right? Yeah. You're, you're into bees, so you're probably into flowers, I would imagine.
5: Yeah. And I'm especially into pollinators. So like the bumblebees and the honeybees and the... Uh, not so much hornets and yellow jackets, though we do need them. But there's also these delightful little bees called mason bees, and they just look like flies. But they make their homes. Uh, where they create little like clay, um, uh, you know, shelters for themselves. And they hibernate in the winter, and they come out in the spring and summer. And they're massive pollinators, but they don't create any honey. And you know, to to make a mason bee hive is really simple and just like a little house on the side of your own house or your apartment or your front yard. And I, I liked looking for those too. little Mason bees.
4: That's so cool. <laughs> um, I I am terrified of bees because I'm highly allergic, but I do have a bee tattoo and it says bless you because it's a bee sneeze.
1: Uh, oh. a,
4: <laughs> I worked in gin as well. And one of, you know, one of the greatest, uh, Classic gin cocktails, really simple, it was a bee's knees, and I, but, you know, we also couldn't have the things that we have without them pollinating different plants. So, yeah, I think that's really cool.
5: Um, the bee's knees is my go-to wedding cocktail, too, when people, friends, or whoever asks me to do some cocktails for their wedding. The bee's knees is always on the menu because it's crushable, easy to make, beautiful, uh you can throw some different garnish in there make it you know dial it up a bit and everyone drinks it everyone gets drunk on a bee's knees
3: yeah (laughs) i mean it's a it's a sneaky two ounces of gin hiding underneath like you know a very a very uh good camouflage screen of some delightful sugar and citrus so yeah absolutely it's like they're like uh, every time i get a bee's knees like i love them But I can't make one for myself or order one at a bar without it disappearing inside of five minutes. And I have this moment of like, damn it, who drank my drink? Where did it go?
5: (laughs) Lately, I've been um, making all of my martinis. Well, I should back up and say that when it comes to home bartending, everything goes on ice. Okay? Just about everything goes on a big cube. But I feel like I've earned the right to like through bartending through so many – years and and different levels and trying to make these the drinks that you feel like are quote unquote perfect that now i can like bend and break all those rules at home to yield the same result and for me like everything goes on a big cube or you know i get I just shake it in a mason jar and take the lid off and drink it but martinis on ice especially in the summertime i just think that 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 i don't know if we should say that it should be trending because that feels really lame to say but I just think that people get really particular about what a martini is and what it isn't. There's a lot of rules. It's not very fun. And I think the <laughs> martinis on ice are really fun. I think martinis, like, we need to bring back fun martinis. You yeah. know? Where, so you're not drinking them movie. out of a glass that you spill everything. You're not trying to get, like you know, I don't want a martini that gets me blackout drunk. Okay. I don't want it. I, if I want to get blackout drunk, I will do that myself. (laughs) I don't need my martini to do it for me. And so I think we need to bring back martinis on ice and just delicious, quaffable, chuggable, drinkable, crushable martinis.
3: A a million percent. I always, my go-to, one of my go-to drinks in the summer is a 50, 50 martini on a big cube with lots of bitters. And when I tell people that, they always look at me like I'm a fucking monster. But I like I've been <laughs> banging this drum for years. I'm like, this is the perfect summertime martini. It's a it's a porch martini. It's it's delicious. And you're right. It'll get you to that nice sweet spot of like I am just kind of enjoyably marinating in this summer humidity, but I'm not hammered after just one and a half.
4: Yeah. I mean, 50 50 has always been a great move. Yeah, for me. It's like I'm I'm on Team Lacey here as well. Um, I, you know, a lot of times what I will do is I'll just putting it on ice is great because two things, one, as you said, it's just more fun, but two, you know, I, 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 I do like the kind of ritual of breaking out my, my spoon and my strainer and my mixing glass and the nice coupe or martini glass. But then at the same time, when I'm finished, all I can do is look at all the dirty dishes and like and (laughs) and just think about that like i always say that like if there are dishes in the sink you're not ready to drink and that's like my my rule for cooking but it rhymes if i say drink and let's be honest if i'm cooking i'm drinking um so but but like making it into a highball is what i've been doing a lot lately because you know i mean like i like vermouth and seltzer on as, as a drink on its own but i also like a gin and soda so like why, why not put it all together as a highball? And it's also kind of a sneaky drink, too, because when you put a martini in a highball, sometimes it ends up being like maybe four ounces of gin instead <laughs> of two. You got
5: to fill the glass.
4: Yeah, it's a taller glass. And, you wash know, line. <laughs> you got to get that wash line. Yep. Yeah.
5: <laughs> While we're talking about martinis on ice, which is just like, wow, someone is probably rolling over in their grave or, you know, turning us off because they think that we're not legit, which joke's on you. Um, (laughs) There's nothing worse than a warm martini, which is why I'm drinking it over ice. Mm -hmm. Also, let's talk about the garnish. Now, listen, we might start a fight, okay? We might start to argue here, but I know that it's really tacky to just pile on a bunch of little snacks into a martini glass. But do you Mm -hmm. know what I love? While I'm drinking a martini,
0: little snacks. Snack.
5: <laughs> I love a little snack, and it's so fun to go through my refrigerator and be like, "Oh!" And I will just get like the longest, you know, skewer that I have, a little cornichon and an onion. Oh, here's a radish. Mm, I'm gonna yes. stick a slice of cucumber in there. You know, I'm you know I'm putting a twist on there, okay? You know, I'm trying to put some um, olives in there, and maybe I, maybe I'll do a little slice of carrot, and then I get these very slightly boozy but ice cold, ice cold, delicious little treats to eat while I'm having my martini. And I, maybe I wonder if we don't do this normally because perhaps it's really obnoxious to serve something like this at a bar, but at home where there are no rules um, except for, yes, Damon, you, you if there's dishes in the sink, you can't drink. Um, my approach to that also is when I'm at home and I'm making drinks at home, my priorities are comfort, quality nesting, ease, right? I don't want to do anything that's going to disturb this environment where I'm supposed to be the most relaxed. And so I like a cocktail that takes no dirty dishes. So I don't even break out my mixing glass or my spoon. I literally stir it with a chopstick in the glass. And yep. then I just pile on my little snacks. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm on my way. I'm soup and a
2: salad. I, I call that soup and I salad. Love I love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm I all about it. this.
4: No, you really had me at ice cold because like for me, I really love... Pickles and and cocktail onions and especially you said radishes, I always have radishes around and makes a great garnish for a lot of different cocktails, but having them ice cold, like right out of the refrigerator is like, that's how I snack. And so to incorporate that into the cocktail itself, just makes complete sense.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's uh, you know, it's and it, and and then you don't and then not only do you not have any dirty dishes, you don't have to go back to the fridge at all. It's just all right there. <laughs> yeah. You can just park yourself and enjoy. Um, speaking of enjoying, I'm enjoying this conversation so much, but uh, we should probably take a quick break because we're at the halfway point. We'll be right back to talk with Lacey Hawkins of Monkey 47 Gin and the great city of New York. Talk to you soon. <laughs>
2: Welcome back. You're listening to the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. And in the virtual studio today, we're talking with uh, Monkey 47 brand ambassador, Lacey Hawkins. Lady Hawk, um, let's talk about bikes. I know you love riding bikes and uh, and the, the perils and dangers of doing that here in New York City.
5: I do, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I think that if you have like even an ounce of uh you know, a a drop of competitive blood in you that, you know, riding bikes in New York City, it's just like you're in a video game. Um, Now, I'm not saying that's the safest way to ride bikes in New York City, but it's definitely what I tend to do of like trying to constantly pass people or not so much weaving in and out of cars, but I personally believe that to be a safe cyclist in New York City, sometimes you need to take up space in order to, to be visible yeah. to, to cars. Um, but yeah, I, I love biking in New York City. And I remember when I first got my bike in New York, which I think I've probably had it for like maybe six or seven years now, um, I started to see things totally different. You know, the subway is great, but you get in and then you get off somewhere totally different and you miss everything in between. Um, Walking is awesome, but it's super slow. And so biking gave me this opportunity to really see the landscape of New York in a totally different way, which is also why I love public buses. I love a public bus because you get to see the city in kind of like slow-mo. And I love to see like the people who get on and get off and the different neighborhoods and how you find a good grocery store.
4: Yeah, totally. I, you know, I work, when I was in New York City, I had four bicycles at one point. Two of them were Fernet Bronco bikes. But, um, I, I had a, uh, I, I got a, a fixed gear bike because I was, at one point, I was still in my 20s and, um, I could do that. But I, uh, I just recently, yesterday actually, I got my first, this is going to sound stupid probably to you as such a diehard cyclist, but I just got my first, uh, like, bike shoes and, and clip pedals and uh it's like really i've only ridden with them a little bit but it really changed really changed the whole situation and i realized that especially during like the pandemic like i started really biking a lot because living out in san francisco now and not not going up and down subway steps and walking around the the city of new york i like I, I was like i just need i drinking a lot more martinis and mason jars um I, I was like i need to do something else to like actually feel healthy and i mean it's one thing to ride a bike around the city but also at the same time you're exercising so i mean there's a lot of a lot of great benefits to it and you don't have to like uh you know a lot of times unless you know your wheel gets stolen you can park right in front of the bar
5: yeah uh that's the best part is being able to park right in front of the bar um are you actually biking up and down those hills in san francisco
4: well out in marin yeah not oh. like not i'm not going like over to visadero like that that would be insane that's uh, still <laughs> hard
5: work though even in marin good it's on to you walk
4: those but yeah yeah
5: I, nice job what kind of Thanks. bike did you get you've do you have gears on it you said it's not a it's not a fixed gear but is it maybe no just a single I, speed? I
4: uh i gave my fixie away to our sous chef at grand army Um, he, his bike got stolen and he really needed, uh, some transportation. And I was, uh, realizing at that time that, uh, my knees did not like the fixed gear anymore. So
0: yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Now it's like, um, I think it's, it's like a road bike. It's like a, like a touring bike. It's I'll send you a picture of it, but, um, but yeah, more gears than I would ever need. And uh yeah it's just a lot of fun i have two two bottles you know two. uh i I forget what they're called biden biden's or something like that bicycle bottles but uh you know once for water once for rosé and you know that's that's (laughs) how i roll do
5: you have any baskets on it is it like a grandma bike
4: no no it's like a it's like a you'll see (laughs) it's it's like a fast bike I respect
5: I, the grandma bike, though. I, I do. do.
4: I do too. Yeah, that's that was my other bike in New York City. I realized mm-hmm. I gave away my uh, my fixed gear, and then I had my like three speed British bike, you know, kind of old rally style with with baskets on it. It was the best bike ever, and which I still I don't even know what the hell happened to it. I lost a lot of things in the move.
5: If I can give a recommendation for a bike shop in New York City, um, there's this bike shop in Park Slope called Dixon's cycles. It's been there for over 50 years. Um, it's black owned and it's, you know, there's two guys and a woman who work in the shop. Um, And it is a really authentic, like New York City experience where you're not taking your bike there because it's going to be done in the fastest, right? You're not taking it there because it's going to, um, you know, because it's full of all kinds of different gizmos and gadgets you can buy for your bike. You take it there because your bike will never look better, right? The price cannot be beat. I mean, I swear to God, they just want to do it for free. And your, your, your bike will be, look so good. It'll probably take about two weeks, um, but it's amazing. And, I mean, um, my wife went in there to buy me, like, a bell for my bike. She picked up this bell. She had, they had one. She was like, hey, how much is this? And he was like, oh, that's 10-something. She was like, okay. She didn't have any cash. She went to give him the card. And he was like, oh, well, just pay me next time. She goes, uh, okay, I'll take another. I'll get two, and I'll go get some cash. He's like, all right, fine. Um, So that's the kind of place it is. I love it. And we always take our bikes there. We know that it's a bit slow, but it's because they're super busy. And the quality cannot be beat. I've never seen my bike come back cleaner. I think they take the whole thing apart. They clean everything. They put it all back together. I took it in last time. I was like, I think I've got some low tires, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, I'm not going to change your tires unless they're broken. You know? I mean, whereas I feel like a normal bike shop, they'd be like, you need some new this or new that. I mean, they're going to try to rack up your bill. But so Dixon Cycles in Park Slope is is worth the experience. It's great.
4: I love businesses like that. You know, like just the the kind like very neighborhoody, kind of community driven and places that have been around forever. Some like you know, like there's some old guitar shops in New York City that are like that, you know, where people are still like chain smoking cigarettes inside and you know, like it's kind of like
5: I think that's my deli, actually.
4: Yeah, (laughs) I was going to say, like, the same thing with smoked meats. Yep, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But thats I think that's the thing that I've been missing the most about New York is businesses like that. And, yeah, I mean, like, like, you, you don't go there for a quick turnaround.
0: You go there because it's an awesome shop and they actually do great work. And they
4: don't try to pull, like, the mechanic thing on you and, like, upsell you on a bunch of things that you don't need.
5: There's also something very New York about having a place that you go to for a service or, or a, an item that you know doesn't quite, there's something that doesn't quite make sense about it, but you're like, no, no, this is where I go or this is what I do, right? It goes against some, some kind of element of New York City life, which means like you know, maybe it's not the fastest, maybe it's not the cheapest, maybe it's not the closest, but you're like, no, there's a person there. And that person gives me gives me what I need, which is is they, they complete the service I'm paying for, but also I feel good about it. Like I, you get some sort of sort of connection with yeah. them, and I think you know so much of living in New York City is like carving out a piece of it for yourself, carving out something that works for you. And right. those kinds of interactions with you know even a, a bicycle mechanic that is adding joy to, a, to, a living in New York city, which can be really hard. Sometimes it can be really lonely. It can be really, yeah. um, cold. And those moments are just, they, it makes you feel like you've, you've made it, you know?
2: Right. Yeah. I feel like, you know, in New, in New York, we, you've got a guy, you've got a guy for that, whatever it is, you've got a guy. Uh, and it's great when you can recognize something that is of good quality. Um, And speaking of good quality, I want to hear about how Monkey 47 Gin is made. Can we talk about that?
5: I thought you'd never ask. I mean, we can talk (laughs) about bikes all day, clearly. Um, Yeah, I mean, Monkey 47 has, you know, we've all seen spirits. We've all seen the landscape of the beverage industry just completely change uh, globally over the last year. Nationally, of course. We started out talking about how to-go cocktails got ripped out from underneath us. So there's been so much change. There's been so much up in the air. Um, and I also think that for a lot of spirits, there was a little bit of a test presented to them as the pandemic started, which is like, are people going to buy you from a liquor store, right? Because that for a while in parts of the country, especially in New York City, it was really the only way you were maybe enjoying cocktails at home was you had to go to a liquor store and buy it. It's been really cool to see the last year with Monkey 47, um, this this brand and this gin grow and pivot and seeing the numbers when it comes to, oh yeah, people really love this gin. They're going into liquor stores and they're buying it and people are reordering it. And that's so satisfying. Um, you know, I've been to the distillery in Germany's Black Forest about five times and Um, Every time it it blows my mind because I kind of can't believe that they're making gin in this way, um, which is 100 liter stills. So we only get about 25 liters of distillate from each batch that we make, um, starting with a neutral sugar beet molasses distillate. Most gins are made using a neutral grain-based distillate. So right out of the gate, kind of starting with something that's a little bit different, yielding a result that we feel is maybe a little bit more superior or perhaps just um, a little bit off of the beaten path. Um, Using 47 different botanicals, predominantly freshly crushed lingonberries and fresh hand peeled lemons and grapefruits. So taking that neutral sugar beet molasses distillate, Adding all 47 herbs and botanicals, letting that macerate for 36 hours, that delightful pre infusion that I think of as like a, like a gin soup, you know, or like a cold gin soup. Uh, and then putting everything into the 100 liter still, um, cranking it up, and getting a 25 liter distillate off of the still at about 76, 77% alcohol by volume. It literally comes off into like a bucket, like a metal pail. and. After that, we actually oxidize Monkey 47 for 100 days in earthenware clay vessels. And if you look at the timeline for for producing this gin, it's a bit of an hourglass shape where you've got a 36-hour maceration up front. Distillation takes an hour and a half, so it's very quick, and then 100 days of waiting in the finish. And most people will say like, "Do you need 100 days? Like, can't you just like, you know, put it in a bottle and let it rest in there?" And for us, no. So this 100-day period is so important when making Monkey 47. We feel like it's integral in in sort of the finishing of this gin where this is an opportunity for the liquid to soften, to settle, to open up a bit. And then we will uh, add water, which comes from the black forest, and bottle it at the 47% alcohol by volume. But this idea of, you know, sort of resting or aging a clear spirit without trying to change the color or the flavor uh, is pretty unheard of. I mean, the most similar I can think of would be when mezcal is sometime aged uh, for several weeks or a couple of months in glass barrels or glass jugs. That's the closest I can come to it. And for me, it's really just, it's it's an opening up process. It's an opportunity for that liquid to kind of settle and soften, um, maybe not be so hot in certain areas. so it's been pretty cool to to work with Monkey over the last year, whereas before the pandemic hit, I mean, I was on the road Monday to Friday, I was all over the U- US working a lot with sales and working a lot with bartenders and working a lot with bars and restaurants and media and events, and, and I really had to pull back. And now I get to do a lot of one-on-one educationals or conversations with consumers, and it's so satisfying. I think that there's a tendency in the beverage industry for bartenders to really hold their cards close to their chest or to be a little coy or to be a little um, um, opinionated, but not necessarily in a, in, in a, in a, a good way, right? To, to, to hold reservations around what they like or they don't like and not really share that. And consumers are totally different where they'll, they'll, they'll hit me up and be like, I love your gin. I use it in this and that. It's the best, and I have this people trying that people, and they're so excited to be able to talk about it, and that's been really, really fun. Um, So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm loving working with Monkey Forty Seven, and you know, can't wait to continue.
4: It's been really interesting seeing the growth of Monkey Forty Seven. Just like like you were kind of talking about, like it's it has become a lot of people's go to gin, and. And I, I've worked in the the, the gin space and and other spirits and, and advertising before that, and like it's I've seen advertisements for it out there, but like it seems like it's more like organic growth for the brand itself than than like a bombardment of of ads. You know what I mean? Is it, do you feel that way too? It seems like it's like really like just a natural like organic, but but pretty profound growth for for Monkey Forty Seven.
5: Yeah, we're doing some really fun stuff like, you know, um working with colossal media or other um, muralists and 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 you know companies that do wall murals to have like our monkey jungle print kind of taken over like a, a huge section of different cities. That's been really cool and 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 really Fun to like see some of that come to life, but you're totally on point about how it's maybe like word of mouth that this brand has grown because that's usually how everyone has tried it. Is you know I I I'll give you an example. I just had this happen to me um, a couple of months ago. I was doing um a cocktail class and kind of Monkey Forty Seven educational with uh, some folks down in Florida. And this woman uh, on the call, she says, you know, um, she was visiting her friend from North Dakota. She was visiting her friend, and she was visiting from North Dakota. And she said... You know who turned me on to Monkey 47 is my farmhand because his brother came back from a trip to England and brought back a bottle of Monkey 47, and he gave me a taste of it. It blew my mind, but he still has that same bottle. He rations it out for himself. This is a farmhand in North Dakota who found Monkey 47 from his brother who visited England. And I I just had to stop her, and I said, you know— it's been a minute, it's been several months since I heard a story like this, but I hear this stuff all the time. And when I repeat it, it sounds so silly or it sounds like I'm, you know, you know, making it up or like, that's what I should be saying because I work as the national brand ambassador. But people come to me with stuff like this all the time. Um... And so, yeah, it, it is word of mouth, and it is, um, oh, you don't like gin? You have to try Monkey 47. Oh, you like gin? You have to try Monkey 47. Or people saying, the bottle's so beautiful, I just want to keep it on my back bar. So they've, they've, they've bought a bottle, they've enjoyed it, and then they keep the bottle on their back bars just because they, they love looking at it. Um, it, it. It is a word of mouth and sort of that global cult following throughout with, with Monkey 47 that people have kind of discovered it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, And
4: the global thing is a really good point to make, too, because, you know, I was going to say that, like, as far as advertising goes, I, I guess I, what I really mean when I say that is swag. I haven't seen, like, a bunch of swag, and I think that's really cool and, and actually very responsible. But the one piece of swag that I have is something that you gave me when you came to Grand Army and did, like, I think you were on the show, on the radio show before that, and then we went back to Grand Army and made some drinks. Um, We didn't make any... Martinis on the rocks, but next time we will. But you gave me-pretty me, sure we
5: made a bee's knees, though.
4: We I, absolutely. Um, but uh, you gave me a luggage tag for my suitcase. And I was like, you know what? That is a really thoughtful piece of advertising. And it's actually like a an actual leather luggage tag. So it like doesn't fall apart, you know, it's not crap. And like I think about it every time I travel. And my whole my travel drink regime is uh that i drink gin and tonics on the way out and i drink wine on the way back so every time i do it's like i look down at my bag and i'm like oh well i guess i'm having monkey 47. i mean that's (laughs) like proof of advertisement right but it's actually like a really classy way of doing it and i know that like right now pt umo is happening in florence and a good friend of mine matt rannick who just uh came out with the negroni book he's been a huge proponent of you guys. I mean, like for monkey 47 and his Negronis, it's like his whole kind of like lifestyle brand is, is based around, you know, really amazing clothing and travel and the Negroni. And he always uses monkey 47. So it's just, it's, it's been placed in really great ways that are, you know, it's not like bombardment. I I don't know. I think about these things a lot because you know, we live in a culture where we get like everything shoved down our throat, and we get targeted ads and all these things. So I, don't know, I just think, like to me, the the overall vibe of just the presence of Monkey Forty Seven is has been very impressive to me. I know that's kind of like a weird sidebar, but
5: <laughs> I, I I totally get what you mean with um, thoughtful pieces of swag, you mm-hmm. know, or, or or something useful. And I think that as an industry, we've backed ourselves into a corner where um Monkey 47 does create, you know, POS and swag and fun shit, right? But it's really nice. Yeah. And and it's expensive. And so we don't we can't create enough for everybody. So we create a, a small run batch and then it does generate more drive because fewer people have these pieces and then you have a bit of um, you know, envy or 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 you know somebody covets what somebody else may have, right? um but then there's also sometimes there's just a need for a bar tool right sure. or there's so- sometimes there's a need for something like a water bottle with a with a brand on it and i i'm so annoyed by how by where we've come like how we've gotten to that place in our industry because it's thoughtless it's useless and it's just ticking a box that's not doing anything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the but you know the opposite end of that is really nice, thoughtful pieces that are expensive and you, nobody can have it all, right? Um,
4: it's like Supreme. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I, I think I think that's to me that's cooler because like also. You know, one thing that I've been doing recently is, like, I'm getting away from printed materials, like, one sheets and little booklets. I'm like, you know what, man? I have so, like, I used to have so many of those. I I just recently, I started giving them away to, like, newer bartenders and, like, all those little, like, kind of giveaway booklets you get at, like, Tales of the Cocktail or BCB or Portland Cocktail Week and, like. It's just like, man, this is just a lot of, I come from the world of design and print, so I know how much paper gets wasted just even setting up the print run on the press, yeah. you know? So, like, I'm very sensitive to it. So, it's to me, it's all about more useful, longer-lasting. I mean, You yeah, think you took those thing.
5: pieces as, like, a sign of respect for the hard work that was, uh, the, as a sign of respect for the paper that was left on the, you right. know, printing room floor? You're like, right. I, sh- I, I know what it took to make this, and I will take one. Yes, thank you.
4: Yes, exactly. Yeah,
5: um, yeah I, I do, obviously in the last year, things have things went from like digital to all, all and only digital, right? right. But, uh, but I find that it's, it's so much more productive and not in a way that we're doing more work, but productive in the sense that we're able to do work for less amount of time, more efficiently and go live our life better. for me. That's something I've yeah. discovered. Um,
4: yeah, absolutely it's so cool I mean like I mean it's you know again coming from like the gin world I've, I've worked with three different gins at this point in my career and like I just I know, I'm like I'm just very impressed by it I'd like I like I, it's been behind the bar ever since you came in and you know did your thing and I I was looking at pictures of us behind the bar and I was like holy shit my hair was really long, I mean it's really long <laughs> right now, but like it was crazy long it like like comically long um so, so uh and that to me just kind of reminded me of uh how long we've been friends, so
5: yeah, i don't see you i only, I always see you with long hair and braids, the cocktail cowboy,
4: yeah, and you know that's the thing is like I can't wear a cowboy hat uh or boots on my my you know my road bike, um so I had to uh. <laughs> I had to get some actual bicycle shoes um but yeah i mean i was just thinking about you know i've I've been i've been really longing to uh get back to new york and see everyone but this is making me really miss it even more (laughs) yeah so hopefully i'll get Um, back soon
5: while we're talking about gin especially you mentioning that you've worked with three different gins can we like pull pull the room and um you know any brand allegiances aside spoiler my news is monkey 47 but any brand allegiances aside uh what's your favorite martini spec and garnish
4: yeah i mean i i'm a fan of the 50 50 but i like to do like a 50 25 25. so oh, yeah. blanc and dry vermouth yeah like sometimes i and i love blanc vermouth but like, as you said and this is totally to your point there's nothing worse than a warm martini so, I mean, once, like a 50-50 is great with Blanc Vermouth, but once it starts warming up even a little bit, it becomes kind of cloying, but I still like that richer texture. So, yeah. I usually do, I split my, my vermouth with two different white vermouths, a Blanc and a dry. I kind of do the same thing with, with sweet vermouth, too. Like, if I'm doing a, say, a um, a Martinez, I'll split it with, like, Carpano and, you know, Dolan.
5: So smart. I love that um my my go to martini spec, which has been like this for several years a few years uh two to one two monkey forty seven one Blanc vermouth on a big rock with a grapefruit twist I can't get enough of it it's dangerously drinkable. I make it for everyone who says they don't like martinis and then next thing you know they've had like two um it, the notes are like honeydew melon, fresh green grass, watermelon rinds, vanilla, grapefruit. It's just a crushable martini. Um, that's been my go-to for a while now, but I also love a Beefeater or a Plymouth Martini too.
4: Oh, sure.
3: Yeah. Greg? See, I gotta go. So this, is, this was mine all of last summer. It was a 50-50, <clears throat> uh, 50-50 Carpano Dry and Tanqueray 10 with yeah, two but... dashes of Reagan's Orins and one dash of uh Bitterman's Boston Bittas with a lemon twist mm-hmm. on a big ass rock. It's so crushable. In fact, I do there, there's a riff on that, uh, cause we had um uh Johnny from Caravado Pisco on a little while ago and I started doing that those with Pisco and that to me is too, is almost so far away from a traditional martini that i was like i can't call these martinis anymore so i started calling it uh, a lawnmower man just because it's like a lawnmower it's like, <laughs> i'm like this is this is a lawnmower martini like that's I, I i was picturing like don draper on one of those riding john deere things and uh yeah and it's and it's lovely and it's delightful and uh it beats the heat i advocate everybody try one
5: southern drinks a um a beefeater 5050 with dull and dry, no bitters as a Gibson. And I respect that so much. I, rule of thumb if you ever go to a bar and they have a Gibson on the menu, order it immediately yeah. because it means the onions are dope. Um, otherwise, most of the time the onions are like questionable, but if it's ever on the menu, you have to get it. Um, but I, I actually, Monkey47 made some custom. Uh, Gibson yeah, cocktail onions so good. and th- we made them with um Daniel Singer of Filthy Foods down in Miami which like that guy is so great uh, if any if any of you have the chance to like work with him or order his products I highly recommend it his products are fantastic and he's an amazing human being so talk about like you know having connections and supporting good people but Um, he, uh, so we, we made these custom monkey 47 cocktail onions that are based on the 47 different botanicals. So like heavy and like black pepper and sage and coriander. Um, and again, people are like, Oh, I don't like onions or I don't like Gibsons. I'm like, okay, just try one of these, and then next thing I know they're eating the whole jar i'm like i I, I like, can't keep them in stock, so I sent some of those to Souther. I'm so curious what his take on those are with his like you know chef background and bartending expertise. I would be so curious what his thoughts were, but um
4: yeah, I mean, he bust them out at the next one of his backyard barbecue extravaganzas.
5: yeah, yeah,
4: my first like I love going to Keene's steakhouse in New York City, and I started going there. Uh, for meetings with some different magazine publishers when I started writing uh stories by cocktails, and I was there meeting up with a friend who's a uh, an author and journalist and he looked at the he kind of looked at the back bar and he was like, "You know what he's like, and this was long before monkey forty seven was around but he was like he's like i don 't know why, but it just seems like the right move to order a a boodle's Jen Gibson here mm-hmm. and I was like, yep." And so then I just started ordering that every time I go to Keen's That's what I, st- I yeah. And like, I, I think, you know, especially having like your martini in a certain spec, as you'd mentioned, like I, I love a grapefruit twist on a martini um, for, for my 50, 25, 25, that's how I do it. But also like there's like situational and occasional drinking. I'm a really big fan of, so like they, you know, like I will, I will order a martini in different ways at different places based on you know whether it's the food the atmosphere um absolutely if, you know if it's a place that's like a little bit more like sherry focused. you know and put some put some sherry in there you know yeah um yeah so i think it's the martini it, you know like as it, so long as we can start getting them on a giant rock um and over garnish that i think we're in good in a good place
5: Um, Damon, I really love your drinking rituals because this is the third time I've heard you say that when you, when you're in this place, this is what you drink, right? When you're departing gin tonics on an airplane, when you're coming back, it's wine on the airplane. When you go to Keene's, it's a Boodles Gibson. And I would be so curious what some of your other drinking rituals would be. We don't have to discuss now, but like drop a pin in that for next time I see you. But it made me think that I have some similar drinking rituals and one of them is, um, and I highly recommend it. I highly recommend it. If you're next to a pool, salty dogs, salty oh, yeah. dogs, Ooh,
0: yeah.
5: with a with a lime on the side, poolside. If you don't want to do a, a salt, that's fine. But there's something about grapefruit and gin with like a squeeze of lime when you're next to the pool. And I'm telling you, it, all of a sudden, life is better.
4: It's so funny you mention that because I just I was in Hawaii for uh, about ten days earlier this month. And i was drinking salty dogs and out of nowhere i like i i hadn't ordered one of those in probably 15 years and i was just like you know what sounds really good right now is gin and grapefruit and a little bit of lime and salt and i also after drinking like way too many mai tais, i was like a great departure uh you know from from that whole side of the uh the cocktail spectrum yeah. but yeah you're absolutely right that's so funny see this is why we've been friends for so long
5: yeah <laughs> And I, funny, I feel like I can count on one hand the number of times we've, we've gone out drinking together. But do you, do, you, do you remember the first time I met you? You don't. I do. <laughs> you don't. I do. I, because. <laughs> because. Did I have it too much at, to drink? <laughs> no, no. It's just that you wouldn't remember, but I definitely do. So it was at Prime Meats, and, um, and I, I think I went to Prime Meats in maybe a small group, and I was with um, uh, Ivy and Tess who are identical twins, mm-hmm. right? Ivy Mix, Test Mix. and um, Or maybe they were sitting at the bar or something, and I met them there, ch- chatting with them. You were working behind the bar, and your twin brother was at the bar. Oh, yeah. No, I and, remember this. And I believe Prime Meats has like a big, wind, a big a big mirror either right behind the bar or kind of facing the bar. Yeah. However it worked out, it was like this optical illusion, and I thought I was losing my fucking mind okay? Because I didn't know that you had a twin brother. I hadn't met you before. And I keep seeing you working, right? I'm sitting next to Ivy and Tess and I keep seeing another you. And I'm just, it's like this mirror was totally messing with me. I must've just kept looking back and forth, back and forth. And it's either you or your brother who who looked, who saw me just kind of like, losing it, (laughs) you know, not really getting what's going on. And you were like, one of you made some comment where it was like, yeah, only twins are allowed here or something like that. Or like, yeah, we came together or something, something like that. But, uh, but I was, yeah, it was this optical illusion of being in in one room with two sets of identical twins and a giant mirror and alcohol. And I was like, that's, that's, uh, uh
4: that was the, that I remember that time because, uh, that's when Ivy and I, came up with the idea to open, a, well, collectively, the whole group, the two sets of twins, we wanted to open up a twins bar, and everything comes <laughs> as a double. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Other things, twins are creepy, so, I mean, he'll, he'll never go to that bar, but, um, but yeah, that's funny. Yeah, exactly. Tw- twins bar, make it a double. So Very good. good. <laughs> make it double till you see double, or nah, if you see quadruple, then you're really messed yeah. up. Or there's a really big mirror in the room. Who knows? Yeah, exactly.
5: (laughs) I was so confused.
4: (laughs) I still am, uh, every day.
5: (laughs) Yeah.
4: Uh, I mean, how do you think? How do you think it is to to to
3: to know the two of you? I mean, Jesus, it's you think it's confusing (laughs) for you? It's confusing for us. (laughs) I I once worked at a bar where I started and I worked. There were there was a pair of identical twins that worked there. I didn't realize they weren't the same guy for like two weeks. Like I worked there for two weeks until I finally saw the two (laughs) of them together, and it
4: blew my fucking mind. It was absurd. Oh, man. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. It's crazy for me. Even I imagine like <laughs> also like then us being on stage when we're playing music. That's it. That's a whole other show. Speaking of, I, we're sadly at the end of this one. Um, I know we could go on forever and we 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 certainly will. We'd love to have you back anytime, Lacey. Um, yeah, we didn't even get to talk about our favorite bicycle accidents in New York City. <gasps> well, I mean, that's yeah. that's. The great thing about the show is like we can always have people back and we certainly have had Lacey on before and we can't wait to have you on again it's been a real pleasure having you on and catching up and there's i just i just love having conversations with you because you know for me it's like the show as we kind of talked about before we went on the air today um to me it's it's not just about booze but you know it's like never just about booze to me uh, with any kind of situation you know we we can Talk about spirits and wine and, and how they relate to really anything throughout history. History, science, politics, religion, whatever it may be. But it's really about the people and the stories, you know, and like the conversations that uh, that really get me excited about it. And it's I'm always excited to have this conversation with you. So thanks again for being on the show today and check out Monkey 47. If you haven't already, it's arguably one of the best gens out there right
5: now yeah it turns out it's really good
4: <laughs> turns out it's really good it, it makes a great four ounce martini highball mm-hmm. um <laughs> <laughs> trust me don't just one. take
3: our word for it
4: yeah exactly have
5: one for yourself exactly um guys thanks for having me on too obviously we can all sit here and, and talk all day but so we'll just have to do it again
4: absolutely, absolutely. Cool. Well, that's it for the Speakeasy this week. Check out Monkey Forty Seven. Also, check out Heritage Radio Network for many more programs like this one. And click on the beating hearts to donate to the station, keep us going. Uh, until next time, thanks so much, and cheers! Cheers!
5: Cheers!
0: So you don't so shun the, the, the devil with your rock, rock and roll, Lord knows road that road country music's gonna save me. your soul. Oh, the road. Road. Get
2: you the, the speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our precious content and to learn more about our 10 year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash Heritage Radio Network.
4: Heritage Radio Network is a non profit organization